Well, this morning, uh, we are going to be uh, hearing from God's Word. And I realize that this is a very a strange way for us to be coming to you. Um, I, I wish I could say it is good to see you, but obviously uh, I cannot see you. <laughs> and I long for the day when we will be able to be together again, when we will hear one another's voices, when we will shake one another's hands, when we will put our arms around one another's shoulders. But we, are, uh, we know that that's not a reality today. And it's in these times when we are separate that we can be thankful that by God's providence we have the ability to come into one another's homes through technology, through phone calls, through email. We can be thankful for that, but, but also it's in these times that we can be thankful for God's word because it is in these times that we need his word. It is in these times that we need to be assured and affirmed of the hope that we have in Christ. And so it is our intention for as long as we need to, as long as we have to continue to do, to bring uh, worship into your homes this way that we, we plan to do it. And it is my intention to continue in our series in 1 Samuel. I recognize that this is strange. I recognize that this is different. But, but as we continue in our series in 1 Samuel, we hopefully will continue to have a semblance of what is normal. Of what we've come to expect that we would continue to receive God's word. So I do want to say before we continue that if you do have needs, uh, we are ready and wanting to help you. Please reach out to us via email or phone. Our deacons and our church broadly would love to come and serve you. So um, if you do have a need, please let us know. But this morning we're going to be in 1 Samuel, so if you have a Bible... Um, you can open it. Uh, if you have a Bible in another room, you can pause the, the worship service right now and go get it and have it in front of you. But we're going to look at 1 Samuel chapter 11. And if you remember, Saul has been anointed king. He's been presented to the people and now he has returned home. And the people, they have the king that they've wanted. They asked a few chapters ago, to have a king like all the other nations, and God gave them that. That is Saul. But even though they have what they have requested, a problem still remains. You see, the people in 1 Samuel chapter 11 are being confronted with a new threat. A threat of a warring nation, the Ammonites. So let's go ahead and read about how they respond to this threat. 1 Samuel chapter 11. Then Nahash the Ammonite went up and besieged Jabesh-Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh said to Nahash, Make a treaty with us, and we will serve you. But Nahash the Ammonite said to them, On this condition I will make a treaty with you, that I gouge out all your right eyes, and thus bring disgrace on all Israel. The elders of Jabesh said to him, Give us seven days' respite, that we may send messengers through all the territory of Israel. Then, if there is no one to save us, we will give ourselves up to you. When the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul, they returned the matter, they reported the matter in the ears of the people, and all the people wept aloud. Now behold, Saul was coming from the field behind the oxen, and Saul said, What is wrong with the people that they are weeping? 
So they told him the news of the men of Jabesh. And the Spirit of God rushed upon Saul when he heard these words, and his anger was greatly kindled. He took a yoke of oxen and cut them in pieces and sent them throughout all the territory of Israel by the hand of messengers, saying, Whoever does not come out after Saul and Samuel, so shall it be done to his oxen. Then the dread of the Lord fell upon the people, and they came out as one man. When he mustered them at Bezek, the people of Israel were 300,000, and the men of Judah 30,000. And they said to the messengers who had come, Thus shall you say to the men of Jabesh-Gilead, Tomorrow, by the time the sun is hot, you shall have deliverance. When the messengers came and told the men of Jabesh, they were glad. Therefore the men of Jabesh said, Tomorrow we will give ourselves up to you, and you may do to us whatever seems good to you. And the next day Saul put the people in three companies, and they came into the midst of the camp in the morning watch, and struck down the Ammonites until the heat of the day. And those who survived were scattered, so that no two of them were left together. Then the people said to Samuel, Who is it that said, Shall Saul reign over us? Bring the men that we may put them to death. But Saul said, Not a man shall be put to death this day, for today the Lord has worked salvation in Israel. Then Samuel said to the people, Come, let us go to Gilgal, and there renew the kingdom. So all the people went to Gilgal, and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. There they sacrificed peace offerings before the Lord, and there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Our Heavenly Father, as we come to your word, we ask that you would minister to us. For we know that the power of your Spirit is not contained by a single building or by the, the presence of many, but your Spirit works and is powerful by your own leading and directing. And so we pray, Lord, that you would use your Spirit, coupled with your Word, to minister to our hearts, to lead us in the way that we are to go. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. There are raiders. We have money. Our whole harvest has been stolen, and we have no protection. These are but a few words that two farmers said to the Mandalorian. The Mandalorian is the main character of a recent Disney Plus series that probably some of you have watched and maybe many of you are aware of. The Mandalorian is a story set in the Star Wars universe, and we know about the Star Wars universe the tale of Jedi and of the Force and of knights with lightsabers. But, but the Mandalorian, though it's set in that universe, there is no mention of the Force. And the Jedi are not the center. Instead, the story focuses on this single bounty hunter, the Mandalorian. And in chapter 4, the Mandalorian finds himself on the planet Sorgan. This is a sparsely populated forest planet, and on this planet there is a small village of farmers. And these farmers are under constant threat from a tribe of raiders. These raiders have armored vehicles, heavy guns, 
The farmers are, are no match for this warring people, and every time the raiders come storming into the village, they take the harvest and they steal the people's tools and they leave behind death and destruction. The villagers are living in a constant shadow of threat. And Old Testament Israel knew about threat. We've already heard about this warring people, the Philistines, a people who had come from the West, who had brought war upon Israel, who had set up a military outpost amongst the people. We heard about that just last week, that they had a garrison amongst Israel. But another people have arisen, Nahash the Ammonite. These are people that have come from the East, and they have seized a part of Israel, Jabesh Gilead, an Israelite settlement in the tribal territory of Manasseh. A threat has come. And so how does Israel respond? What are they to do? Well, Israel responds by seeking to make a treaty. And here are the terms the Ammonites give them. Nahash says in verse 2, On this condition I will make a treaty with you, that I gouge out all your right eyes and thus bring disgrace on all Israel. So what the Ammonites are telling them, if, if Israel is to abide by these conditions, Israel will be spared, but, but Israel will suffer disgrace and disfigurement and ultimately slavery. You see, to have their right eye gouged out would mean that they would be unable to fight in battle. This is because during this time, warriors would often carry with them a, a sword or a shield on their left arm. And it would allow their right arm to be free to wield a sword or a spear. And when they would go into battle, they would hide behind the shield. Their left side of their face and body would be hidden behind the shield. And they would peer around the shield with their right eye, looking at their enemy. But if their right eye has been gouged out, they cannot see. They cannot fight. And so, in essence, what the Ammonites are doing is they are decimating, they are making the fighting force of Israel incapacitated. And they are making them slaves. So how would they respond to this? I mean, how would you respond in the face of such threat? Well, like the farmers of Sorgan, the people of Israel respond with fear. The elders negotiate a seven-day reprieve to decide how they are to proceed, to determine if there's a deliverer to save them. And so they go out throughout Israel, and they're looking for someone who could come and rescue them, to save them, to fight their battle for them. And instead of finding a way forward, what they find is fear. In verse 4, we're told that when the messengers came to Gibeah of Saul, they reported the matter in the ears of the people, and all the people wept aloud. They're afraid. And we understand why. They see no way forward. They are convinced that they will lose this battle, that the threat is too much. And we know what fear is like, right? I mean, many in our culture, many in our city, many maybe even in our homes right now are feeling afraid, or feeling unsure, right? There is fear in the air. It is surrounding us. And maybe you're not afraid about actually contracting 
this virus. Maybe you're not afraid of becoming sick from it or, or even possibly death. Maybe you're just afraid of the implications. Economic downturn. Retirement accounts being depleted. Maybe you have fear or concern about a future business or educational endeavor. If we're honest, there is a general sense of dread and worry and fear. And so we have to acknowledge that, that fear is a very present reality for some, maybe even for many. So what do we do with fear? Well, we know it's not enough to simply say, uh, don't be afraid. You're anxious, stop, right? We know that. Just think about how you would interact with a child who wakes in the middle of the night because of a nightmare. You don't go and sit on their bedside and, and hold them in your lap and comfort them and then whisper in, your, in his ear, man up. Don't be afraid, right? We would never say that. That's absurd. Or if someone is concerned about a job loss, we don't just cast it aside and wipe it away and say, don't worry, it's not that big of a deal. Right? We would never say those things. For one, it would be incredibly insensitive, but two, it doesn't actually help with fear. Now you see, our fear needs to be replaced with something stronger than fear. I mean, think about all the times that God tells his people not to fear. We come across these countless times throughout the Old Testament. God is consistently saying, do not fear, do not be afraid, be strong, be courageous. But he doesn't just simply say, do not fear. He then gives a reason why we shouldn't fear. And often it's because of his promises. Often it's because of his presence. For example, in Joshua chapter 1, this is a passage that probably many of us have memorized and we go to again and again in times of unsurety. What we read, it says, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. And why? For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. The Lord is with you wherever you go. That is why we need not fear. Or Psalm 23, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why would the psalmist not fear? For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You see, friends, God's presence, his promise to be with his people, his assurance that he will deliver, that's what casts out fear. God is encouraging us to respond to fear with faith. Faith that he is with his people. Faith that he will deliver his people. And that's what he does. The people see this threat and they respond with fear, but God responds with deliverance. We saw it. Saul, this anointed king, he gets news of the Ammonites and the reason why the people are weeping. He knows that a battle is about to come, and so he calls men to arms, and he musters the troops. And in verse 11, we read, The next day Saul put the people in three companies, and they came into the midst of the camp in the morning watch and struck down the Ammonites until the heat of the day. And those who survived were scattered so that no two of them were left together. Do you hear that? The people are delivered. They're saved. The threat of the Ammonites has been neutralized. 
But before we go celebrating and rejoicing Saul's victory, before we go proclaiming the great military strategist that Saul was, before we talk about what a wonderful leader he is, I want you to notice who is it that actually delivered Israel. Yes, Saul is the human agent who leads the people into battle. But he does so not by his own strength, not by his own might, not by his own power. In verse 6, we read, The Spirit of God rushed upon Saul when he heard these words, and his anger was greatly kindled. The Spirit of God rushed upon him. Last week we saw that the Spirit of the Lord rushing upon Saul was not speaking in terms of salvation. It was not speaking about Saul's salvation, but instead the spirit rushing upon him was to equip and to empower Saul to function as the king. You see, Saul cannot do this on his own. I mean, just think about how we ended last week, what we saw of him. We left Saul and he had been out hiding. He'd been cowering amongst the baggage. But now he's courageous. He's strong, right? The spirit comes upon him, his anger is kindled, and he took a yoke of oxen and cut them in pieces and sent them throughout all the territory of Israel by the hand of the messengers. And he said, whoever does not come out for Saul and Samuel, so shall it be done to his oxen. And then the dread of the Lord fell upon the people and they came out as one man. He's a different man. He's a changed man man. He doesn't muster the people by his own courage. They don't just grit their teeth. They don't convince themselves that fear is foolishness. No, he has been changed because God is the one who has changed him. And it is through God's empowering, it is through God's strength that Israel is delivered. As one theologian put it, Israel cannot afford to miss this point. Salvation came not because Israel had a king, but because the king had Yahweh's spirit. It is not the institution of kingship, but the power of the spirit that brings deliverance. You see, the people responded to the threat with fear, but God responded with deliverance. And so how did they now respond? Well, fear is no more they're going to respond in a new way. You see, in the Mandalorian, he is coaxed and he's invited to follow the farmers into their village. And so he goes with them with the promise that he will be their protector, their defender. And so he goes to the village and he helps them and he leads the villagers in battle against the raiders. And they defeat the raiders. And the men and the women who were once controlled by fear, they now find deliverance. Their fear is replaced with peace and laughter and joy. And that's what we see with Israel. They're no longer dominated by fear, but there is joy. Look at verses 14 and 15. Samuel said to the people, come, let us go to Gilgal and there renew the kingdom. So all the people went to Gilgal, and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. There they sacrificed peace offerings before the Lord, and there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced 
greatly. They rejoiced greatly. What a wonderful summary of what has taken place. They rejoiced greatly. They rejoiced greatly because the kingdom was being renewed. Right? So that's what Samuel said. Let us go and renew the kingdom. This renewal of the kingdom, it is a renewal of allegiance to God. It is a way of the people saying that they will live under God's kingship and they will live as his kingdom people. They're renewing the kingdom. They're rejoicing greatly. They worship. And that makes sense, doesn't it? Because worship is a natural expression of joy. What we worship is a reflection of what we trust, of what is dear to us, of where our allegiance is, where we have placed our affections. And when Israel has experienced God's deliverance, when they have experienced his rescue, they can't help but worship with great joy. It was the theologian John Calvin who said that joy doesn't mean that believers will be entirely free from all sadness, but that the ground for joy will be greater, so that no dread, no anxiety, no grief will swallow them up. You see, friends, when Israel experienced God's deliverance, his salvation, they can't help but worship with great joy, and the same is true of us. For when we know that Christ has rescued us from our sin, and when we know that he has delivered us from the judgment that we are deserving, and we know that he is the one who has saved us, and that we are his, well then, our worries are drowned with worship. Our anxieties are given over to allegiance. Our fears are replaced with faith. Faith in the one who has delivered us, Faith in the one who, who knew the threat. And he has seen our fears and he has heard our cries and he has saved us. He is the one that we put our faith in. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do ask that as we live our days, as we go about our days, as we converse with our friends, as we look upon the world, as we listen to the news, as we seek to live in this world, that we would do so with faith. That we would do so with a faith that, that casts out fear, a faith that is grounded upon you. So Father, make you much in our eyes. Make your Son great in our hearts, so that we would walk with you and know you, our God who has delivered us, the one in whom we have placed our faith. And we pray in Christ's name.